Welcome to Courage to Create, a podcast for those choosing to live and lead from heart, soul, and desire. I'm your host, Claudia Whitney, a certified hypnotherapist and life and business coach for women. And I'm obsessed with supporting you on your path to living a more abundant, expanded life of purpose. I believe we were born to go big, and each week you'll hear inspiring interviews from passionate souls that dare to create their bold stories. And it's my hope that after hearing stories of truth, courage, and desire, you'll feel called to rewrite a part of your story that may be holding you back from living a life of your wildest dreams. Hi, hi, hi. Here we are, episode 19. Wow. I thought about doing this podcast for a couple of years before I got enough courage to actually make it happen. And now I'm almost 20 episodes in with over a thousand downloads. I'm not sure exactly how many, and I'm hearing positive feedback from a lot of you. And I love hearing your takeaways, by the way, so please keep them coming. And if you haven't reached out or if you haven't subscribed or left a rating or review, that would also be super helpful so that the podcast becomes more visible for women out there. And I want to inspire as many women as possible to live bolder, more authentic, and fully express lives. It takes courage to create new ways of being. And that's why I started this podcast. I just got back from an expansive four-day immersion in Palm Springs with a leadership program I'm a part of. And imagine 30-plus women coming together to step into their leadership and guide healing and transformative sessions. I'm actually still processing it all, and I think I will be for a long time. I got to co-lead a death meditation and integration session with my friend Kat, and wow, it was so powerful. It was an amazing process that we took the women through, and you know, when I think about it, it's like tomorrow is not promised, yet we walk through our lives delaying our dreams, not speaking our truth, playing it safe. I do this too, and it was such a wake-up call thinking about if today was my last day, did I say the things I wanted to say? Did I hang on to something for way too long, or how, how are people going to remember me? I love these questions, and I invite you to contemplate these things. I guarantee if you seriously do it, it will shift the way you live your life today. <laughs> I'll stop being so deep. <laughs> Let's see. What announcements do I have uh, for you today? I am I am in the process of working on some master classes. They'll be coming up soon that have to do with putting your gifts out into the world, coming up with business ideas. So watch out for that. And the waitlist is open for Courage to Create, my online group coaching program for female entrepreneurs. Jump on the waitlist to grab some VIP perks to learn more about it. It's for the woman that's really ready to step into her genius and her talents and gifts and share them with the world and do what she was put on this earth to do. And it's one of my favorite programs. And if you're feeling called, if you're feeling some whispers, some nudges, and you haven't had the courage to you know, actually say this is what you want to do or put the program out or get the first client, I'm here for it. That's why I created this program. So get on the wait list. And let's get into the podcast. So I'll tell you about my guest today. I have an absolute goddess on the podcast, and I cannot wait for you to meet her. I interviewed Sandeep Gill, a woman's personal development coach and registered social worker, 
who's chosen to carve a unique life for herself through travel, storytelling, and defying many cultural limitations. Through self-love and healing, she mentors women stuck on autopilot to live an aligned, expansive, empowered life. Be prepared to get expanded. This conversation was so beautiful, and I can't believe how much I could resonate with Sandeep's story. She lets us into her life and shares from her heart, and I learned so many lessons on self-discovery and self-love. I know you're going to love it. Enjoy the interview. Hello and welcome back to Courage to Create. I have the biggest smile on my face right now because I'm absolutely in love with my next guest, Sandeep, and I admit I have a bit of a girl crush on you. (laughs) Likewise. (laughs) And um, Sandeep is just a powerful, inspiring woman. I've been following you for a few, you know, for a while. I, I don't know exactly, probably a few years. And I remember meeting you in Venice one night at a dinner and you're, you know, it's like, you know, when you see people online, you're like, they can't be that beautiful. They can't really glow like that. And I'm telling you, she does. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really excited to dive into this conversation. Um, Sandeep is a personal development coach, registered social worker for over 10 years. You know, I know a little bit about you, um, that you grew up in a small farming town in Canada. I have so many questions for you, but I wondered how that was for you as a South Asian woman. And also, I really do want to hear... Um, your journey of becoming the woman that sits in front of me today. And I know there's a lot in between, right? Growing up in a farm town and and who you are today, but I'd love for you to start where it feels uh, most resonant for you. And then we'll go from there. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And it's interesting because I I seriously have this girl crush on you. And every single time I watch your stories, I'm always like, her skin is so beautiful. Like she just glows and it's like this radiancy. And even I remember meeting you when we had our dinner party and you just have this incredible, beautiful energy. And I just want to acknowledge you and just, just see you. Thank you. I didn't think my smile could get bigger. (laughs) Just add, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, So yeah, growing up in a, in a small farming town. So when I say small, I mean 4,000 people, and that's including the whole rural area in British Columbia, Canada. And it really made me who I am. And even today, even though I've, you know, traveled the world and lived in these incredible, beautiful big cities and had these incredible place of, you know, experiences, that little small town girl, that's still who I am in my core. And being in the mountains, being in nature, in quiet, that's still where I feel the most me. Mm. And I, I thank my parents so much for having the courage to have immigrated from India to, to Canada. And it really was for this, for this better life for their family, for their future family. But it was so unknown what what that was going to look like and those sacrifices that they made and you know when you're growing up there's that self-centeredness that you don't see those things and for me growing up it was a very traditional Indian Punjabi household so my family was very strict I wasn't doing a lot of things that my friends were out doing and of course that was challenging Um, but looking back at it it allowed me to really hold on to these 
some of these traditional values that I, I've embodied, like family, being of service. There wasn't a lot of kids that looked like me growing up. In some ways, I don't think I realized I was a person of color that I had this brown skin when I was really, really young. And I would take that peach colored crayon to draw myself. And I remember maybe being around grade three is when I would look at my skin and I would started to notice like I'm different. And I would start to like other myself and it created this disconnection and discord from a very young age for me of feeling less than and then trying to make up for that in other ways going to achievements for example so that was a little bit about what growing up was like and then it was also the polarity of just being a child and running outside in the farm and playing street hockey with my cousins there was a lot of innocence there too so that's what life was like (laughs) Yeah, that's really beautiful. And as you're sharing, I was like, wow, we have so much in common because I grew up in a small town in Kansas and um, there weren't a lot of, you know, people of color. And I also felt like I stood out. I wanted to blend in. Yeah. So as you were speaking, I was really brought back to my childhood and um, could really feel that, feel like what that must have been like for you. And so, I mean, okay, so that's you growing up. I see you like with your family, with these like values living in a small town. And then like, I know that you end up like traveling the world and, and, and being this woman that um, takes life to its fullest. And was that how you always were? Like, were you, cause I know that for me, I was like, when I'm 18, I am so out of here, you know? So was that just you being curious and exploring or was that a way for you to be like, get out of there, like get out of that small town and like, you know, see the world? You know, I thought about this and it's interesting because I don't fully know when exactly that shift for me happened because it was, it was really gradual. I think that when I was younger, And I grew up in a house where there was over 30 of us at one point living in one house. So what what we would do, and again, traditional Indian household, it's your extended family all living together. So my dad's eldest brother, his children, my dad's youngest brother, family, his children, grandparents, extended families that were just visiting or needing a place to stay, we would just take everybody in. So I mentioned that because through that, and I was kind of in the middle of all the kids. So I would find myself lost in the crowd. There wasn't much attention given to me (laughs) as probably all the other kids do because our families, they just didn't have that kind of time. First generation kids. So it was all about survival for them. I spent a lot of time by myself as well. And I remember like growing up, I would just sit outside and I would, I would just look at the clouds and I would be obsessed with just watching the airplanes, right? And just wondering like, wh- where is that plane going? And so I had this curious part of me, but it, I very much repressed it at the same time because I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be like everybody else. And there was that dance for my teenage years as well, 
But then I always wanted to try and do different things. So I was the first woman of color to win our, you know, small town pageant and become the royalty of the town, you know? So I would always do these things because it was that curious part of me that I just wanted to explore and experience. And I couldn't name it then, but it was after university is when I went traveling for the first time. I was 18. It was three days after graduation. And it was my, my best friend and I, we did the Europe backpacking thing for three months. And I remember running up these stairs in Croatia, in Dubrovnik. And I just had this moment and I remember just stopping and I started to cry. And my friend actually took a picture of me from, from, from behind because it was the first time I felt, oh my goodness, I'm free. Oh my God, this is what it feels like to be happy. And up until that point, my cousins and I, the girls, we were very close, but there was very little distinction between us. We were all kind of like the same person. Part of that was because our parents really wanted to keep their traditional values. So we were very, very much explicitly encouraged to not have a lot of friends and just, you know, stay within the family. So this was my first time branching out and seeing a world that I didn't even know that I was curious about consciously, but I had always been. And it was in that that specific moment, I was like, wow. And that's where my curiosity became more conscious. And that seeker part of me really came to the forefront. And I wanted to know myself. Who am I? What do I like? What do I want to do in this world? And that shifted that trajectory for me was, was at 22 years old on the steps at night in Dubrovnik. <laughs> that is such a beautiful story. I can just imagine, you know, the tears and you're, you know, you having that snapshot. I really, yeah, I can feel that. And I'm what this question is coming up, like, was there a point where you um, felt rebellious? Like, oh, like went wild or was it just pure curiosity? Yeah. I mean, I was rebellious in a way, but I also knew how rebellious I could be. (laughs) So I pushed the limits, but just enough. (laughs) Again, for me, I really took it upon myself to be of service. And that was my, that was my outlet. So I was involved in every kind of school activity, whether it was sports peer counselor at school, Miss Oliver, the hometown I grew up in, you know, the pageant world. That that was my way of having like a social life. What we say within our culture is you're not really Indian or you're not really brown if you didn't have a double life growing up. So, <laughs> <laughs> so in quotations, I also spent a lot of time studying or, you know, but sometimes it would be going to like a random party, but that that was never really me. That shifted a bit when I went to university, of course. It was my first sense of like, you know, not living at home and being able to do what I wanted to. So I definitely had that phase, but it came while I was in university. And you you said the double life. Do you feel like your parents saw all of you or do, is it something now that you're more open to them seeing, you know, your whole life and and who, who you are mm. or have they, have they always really seen the full you and I don't know if they're ever gonna see the full full me to be honest 
And, you know, when we talk about self-love and we talk about acceptance and everything, like that's a journey, of course. Maybe in some ways it's, it's a way to protect my parents and to keep them in this naive space as well. When I say, you know, growing up, it's usually in the in the way of like having a boyfriend, but not telling your parents because we weren't allowed to date growing up. And it's interesting because what often happens is you're not allowed to date. It's very explicit. And then all of a sudden you're in your mid twenties and then Indian parents are like, okay, when are you finding a husband now? And it's like, (laughs) (laughs) so we, so in our culture, we have this tendency to go from zero to a hundred real quick. (laughs) Those were the parts of me that I I definitely hid. So how it shows up now is we've definitely softened in our relationship and they've gotten to know a lot more of me, especially because my mom follows me on social media, (laughs) but they don't necessarily ask me about certain things. So in that way, it's just this like silent, okay, she's doing her thing. They've never fully, let's say, supported me when I'm out traveling, but well, sorry, I meant to say they've never fully encouraged, you know, when I'm out traveling, but they've always still supported me. And in that way, I've been very fortunate, even when I transitioned from uh, working full time in social work to full time coaching and running my own business. It was more in this way of wanting to protect me. So I have the pension, I have all that, but always still being very supportive. I'd love to talk more about that, that transition from social work to being a coach. And you also spoke about self-love earlier. And I know that you call yourself a a personal development coach and self-love coach. I would love to hear why, why that, but also like that transition, because I'm sure that was like really hard for your family to swallow, I'm guessing. So what was that like and what gave you the courage? Well, I think for the self-love piece, I would say that it was an initially this unconscious journey for me. And it came from that, that seeking and that void of not feeling enough, not feeling pretty enough. You know, I have this beautiful melanin in my skin. I have this big curly hair and these you know, high cheekbones. And a lot of these parts of me weren't necessarily considered beautiful within my culture. So when I was very young, when I was about maybe three years old, my parents and my my aunt and uncle, they actually shaved my head because of my curly hair, thinking it, it might grow back a little different. It always made me feel like I'm just a little different, just never gonna be quite Indian enough. And so seeking that validation and that acceptance, and that obviously came from the void and lack within me. So when I first went traveling and I was getting all this like attention, I'm like, am I beautiful? These people think I'm beautiful. (laughs) And I know it sounds silly, but again, it was just, I didn't know I was. And that was like that initial, like, wow, like I need to really love myself and get to know who I am and what I've like, what I bring to the table, what I, what, what I bring to this world. And obviously I was, went to school for social work. That was something I always knew I was going to be doing. And I also grew up in a very chaotic home environment, a lot of addiction in my family, 
witnessed domestic violence and all that comes with it. So it was a very natural thing for me to do was to put myself in work that was going to help other women and children who had gone through what I went through. So that part for me, my career, my purpose and self-love have always just been integrated with one another for that reason. And when about four years ago is when I started to get that hint, that nudge of going into coaching. And I didn't really know a lot of women who were coaches at that time, or a lot of women who looked like me who were coaches or entrepreneurs. But again, I just followed that curiosity within. And at that time also, I I was engaged. But I also knew deep down, he was not the person I was going to marry. So then there was this part of me that felt like a fraud. Like here I am, you know, talking on my platform about self-love, yet I'm not owning my truth. I'm not owning what is so clear for me. And it came from a lot of fear. And that fear came from not wanting to disappoint my family. So I stayed in that relationship until I knew if I don't end it now, I'm going to end up marrying this person. And if I marry this person, I already know I'm going to end up divorcing this person. So I finally, four years ago, a little over four years ago, ended that engagement. Surprisingly, when I told my parents, they were like, okay. My mom, unfortunately, had a little harder time with that. But that's a whole different story. Um, But my dad was actually very supportive of it. And after that, I shifted into working at a hospital with the intention that I could work casual and start building my coaching practice at that time. And I went to Bali. So did the whole eat, pray, love thing, you know, (laughs) had to romanticize my life and (laughs) break up and all that. And obviously going to Bali and then meeting so many more women uh, who are entrepreneurs, coaches, and that really opened up my eyes to a whole new world of what is possible for me. So seeing all these women doing it, it was triggering at the same time, but it was also the thing that really helped me expand and came back. And then about a year and a half ago is really actually when I went full time in my coaching practice. And I know we're getting to so many different things, but that, but that, that, that big move came after I sat um, in an ayahuasca ceremony for the first time. And it was just so clear. It was so clear and undeniable that whatever resistance and fear in me was just gone. So I don't know where you want to take this, Claudia. I, I mean, I was like taking some notes. I was like, there's so much here. But one that stands out to me is when you said, I went to Bali and there I saw these coaches and they were triggering to me and they also expanded me. And I know that recently you you held a workshop on triggers. And yeah, I would just love to hear like more just, I mean, I understand this a bit, but like if anybody's listening and they're like, how do you turn jealousy into expansion? Like what's up with that? <laughs> oh my God. I mean, it requires initially that that level of introspection first and the understanding of of triggers. And I think when you dive into shadow work, especially, and recognize that we all have these parts within us that unconsciously we're, we want to repress, or we think we have to defend that we're not. Like, no, I'm not a jealous person. 
no, I'm not malicious or I don't gossip or do X, Y, and Z. Right. I'm not not a judgmental person. No, of course not. Like, Like I'm an angel here. I love everybody. Again, that journey of self-love and healing has been ongoing journey, of course. So, so at that point, I'd already knew some of these triggers that I carry and jealousy has been one theme that has played out in my life from a very young age. And I think for me, that's why I also created Triggered is because from a very young age, we as little girls are pitted against one another. That comparison from a very young age had a, had impacted me in so many ways. And at some point I had to look within and say, okay, how do I use this as a tool to be of service? How do I use these experiences I've had? Because I know I'm not the only one. I can't be. When I went to Bali, the first one I would say it was a lot more fluffy and it was, you know, it was just there for a month. And, but it was the second time I, I went back and even just watching these women just like hugging for like minutes on end, I was like, who does that? <laughs> <laughs> what? What? It was all just so eye opening for me. And I come from a family where physical touch and hugging isn't really, you know, a thing. So having to lean into these experiences and be like, okay, so where, where have I not allowed myself to have these experiences? That was like the really big thing for me. And the, these women were showing me a level of freedom that I knew I deeply desired. And a really big one actually came with two of my girlfriends and they both have like a dance background. So dance, they've been dancing professionally since they were very young. And, you know, we would dance and I would watch them and they were just so free and fluid and flexible and just moving all over. And here I am just kind of rigid and, you know, a little tight in my dance moves. And I remember like watching them, we were at the beach and I was like, I want to be like them. I want to be this wild and free. And it was such a moment of, oh my gosh, how much more am I repressing within myself? And to be completely honest, it's not like I've completely let myself fully go into the wild and, and, but, but I started just having that initial awareness. I'm like, okay, I know it's really uncomfortable for me to just like take my hair and just whip it back and forth, but let me just give it a go. Let me just stand in front of the mirror and just test it out a little bit. (laughs) I I just knew if I'm experiencing this and I've had quite a lot of incredible experiences and traveled around the world and done all this, so many more women, especially within the South Asian community are probably triggered by me, even just having, sharing what I'm sharing. So how do I reframe that for the women in my community to allow themselves to just be, to allow themselves to let go. So a lot of my work is, is in this space of unraveling, unraveling that good girl conditioning, unraveling this like status quo and this linear way that we've been ingrained to believe we have to live. So this restlessness that so many women carry. We don't listen to it. What happens, we become more and more disconnected from ourselves until a point 
And I've been there where I've looked at myself and this is when I was still in my, my last relationship and I couldn't recognize myself. I couldn't answer who am I? So everything I do in my work is a reflection of my own experiences as well. And I've just believed I can't be the only one. So if I can be raw and vulnerable about my experiences, because I really don't carry shame around them. I hope it can be, I hope I can be some level of inspiration or trigger for other women to know that they're not alone. Thank you for that. Thank you for being that woman, that example, the leader, showing women that it's possible. And I'm thinking about the woman that might be listening and they're thinking, this sounds great, but like, I'm not going to be able to go to Bali or, you know, like, how do I begin to unravel? And what would you say to someone that isn't that stuck, stuck place and they are feeling the call and they're feeling like the, you know, the uncomfortable place where there needs to be a shift or a change and they just don't know how to go about it. And they are thinking I can't hire a coach or, you know, all these possibilities are feel out of reach. Like what's something simple? What's something uh, a good place to start? I think it's what I would suggest if you're listening to this, go in front of a mirror and just take a beautiful couple of minutes and just look at yourself. Just get to know this beautiful, radiant face of yours, body of yours, your eyes, your smile. That's where I would start. And then I would take that finger, I would take your finger and I would point it back at yourself. And then I would maybe add a few mantras. I am blank. And then I would do that again the next day. And then the day after that. That would be the first thing I would probably do is get to know yourself, be reacquainted. Even just saying that, and I'm I'm closing my eyes because I'm just, I'm feeling that so deeply. And I remember that's one of the first things I did. And it was so hard for me to do that initially because it, it revealed to me how much I had been repressing. It revealed to me how much longing I had within me. And bit by bit, as I, and I did that for an entire month. And some days were easier than others, but I, I made this commitment to devote to myself. And that was the intention, was devotion to myself. After those 30 days, I just, I had this deeper compassion for myself, this deeper like self-worth, like this worthiness, like, oh my gosh, like to be in this vessel, to, to have this beautiful heart. That one practice really did impact my journey of self-love for myself. I love mirror work so much. And it is a beautiful practice and can feel very confronting, <laughs> you know, if you haven't done it. So I, I do highly recommend this. And if it is something that feels a little out of your range, start with one minute. You know, I like to play a song, like a beautiful song. Mm-hmm. I can oftentimes bring up emotion, you know, like I'll find myself crying for no reason or for many reasons, you know, I think that that I, you nailed it. That's a simple way. It's like everybody has a mirror, you know, you don't have to go out and spend thousands of dollars to do this, but it's really looking at yourself. And when you were talking about that, I remember I was thinking of when I started to started to love myself, started to look at myself and it was in yoga 
And it was Bikram yoga. So like old school with the carpets and the mirrors and staring at yourself. And I remember I had never like stared in my own eyes for that long and really looked at myself. And it was, you know, there's like the whole practice, of course, and felt like I was going to throw up the whole time. I couldn't stay standing most of the time, my first few classes, but it was that looking in the mirror and just seeing myself was so, so powerful. I think it was the first time I had really done that in over 20 years. One of the reasons why I also suggest this is because you're actually taking time out for yourself. So there's, of course, the physical act of looking at yourself, getting to know yourself physically, emotionally, all that. But the actual act of devoting a couple of minutes to yourself, that alone is part of the practice of self-care. It's part of that recognition to just give yourself the opportunity to be to surrender without the noise. And I think for a lot of women, especially when you're running on autopilot, you're feeling stuck, even that is challenging to do. So even the fact that you're doing that, even that one minute of quality time with yourself, because at the end of the day, the relationship you have with yourself, that's your only forever relationship. And it's the one that we neglect the most. What else is important to you when it comes to women and and doing this work? One of the things I notice in Bali or anytime I've done anything personal development related is that I'm one of the very, very few women of color ever. And usually one of two, maybe South Asian women in any of these spaces. And I can't wait for that narrative to change. And I know part of my work is to be that change maker for my community. I want to see brown women in these spaces. I want to make the work, this inner work, so sexy. It's easy to buy the next Chanel purse and do this, but then to actually invest in yourself in something that might not be necessarily tangible. That's my work. That's what I'm here to do. (laughs) Amen (laughs) to that. More women of color in these spaces. It's about time. Do you find there's a common block or pattern that you see with women that where they can't or aren't stepping into themselves fully or being fully expressed or loving themselves? I would say that they're in some level of transition. I think that's like the main common thread is they're in transition or, and it's that even unconscious knowing that something is about to, to be shifting and they're sick of their own shit. And to me, even just jumping on a discovery call, even just taking that action is is courageous. When we start working together, I would say some of the the more common themes, and I do work with, I would say, 80% of the women I work with are South Asian. And so a lot of it is that cultural conditioning of that good girl construct that box that we were put in as young little girls and that we've remained in. That's the common theme. So a lot of my work, like I was mentioning, is this unraveling, unraveling of that box. And it is scary. And that growth is uncomfortable because now all of a sudden, who am I? And then what I notice is the reclamation that begins, that deep remembrance and you just see that shift on their faces. 
Like, oh my God, I get it. I know why I'm here, why I'm doing this work. And it is just, it's so powerful. So that's the theme. I know you have a program called, it's called the Glow Up, like your signature program. Is is that essentially what you're working with here, getting rid of those masks and helping women glow from Mm -hmm. the inside out? Yeah, that's exactly why I named it that. (laughs) I love that name. I mean, I was doing that program for about almost a year before I had a name for it. And then when I looked, I'm like, like, what would I name this? And I'm like, it has to be the glow up because that's literally what I see women doing is glowing up their life. And as we know in this work is you focus on, you don't have to focus on every area of your life, but it's going to impact your personal growth is going to have an impact on all areas of your life. So of course it's the glow up. (laughs) And we have been so conditioned to be in the performance. So what, what would life look like if we stopped performing and who are we performing for? And a lot of that, what I see with my clients is even for myself, I grew up in a home where there was no conversation around the self. (laughs) There was no conversation around rest and self care and having immigrant parents. It was about survival. Life was about survival. I can say I'm privileged to receive from that. And by receiving with that, I can also now do things differently and break certain cycles. So seeing my mom run on autopilot, see my mom never taking a moment out for herself, never expressing herself, really saying what she needed. I saw how it impacted her life. I saw how it impacted me. I want to offer a different way of being for for other women too. What are some of your self-love or self-care practices? I'm so curious. Oh my gosh. Okay. So one is always drinking out of like a beautiful mug, my first cup of coffee. That's just like a simple one, but I just, I love it. Yes. (laughs) I have mine too. Cheers. (laughs) I would say when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is I wake up, I smile and I I express gratitude. I just, thank you, God. I look out. I always have my window um, open a little bit so I can see sunshine. I don't need much, but that's how, but I need to do that every morning. My morning is slow. And again, not, maybe not everybody can do that, but that's how I've designed my life to slow it down, especially my mornings. Taking a few moments to just meditate, to breathe, to ground having my cup of coffee, I usually start off either sitting on the porch, getting that sunlight in. Sometimes I'll do morning pages. If I'm being honest, I don't do them every morning, but sometimes I'll do morning pages or I'll just like play my mantras and just really allow slowness. It's like I'm oozing it into my body. That's how I start my mornings. Slow, intentional, and calming. I feel like you've just given me permission (laughs) like you just sharing that and probably anybody that's listening because we do we tend we tend to get up and make stuff happen I mean I have a kid and make his lunch and get him off to school but it's like you saying that makes me realize how fast I'm going you know I love that you said I 
I think you said I gave myself permission to be slow. I create that for myself. It's like so intentional. And I think that's all it takes. I last night I was on a call guest teaching in someone's program and I was saying like, we get to define success. We get to define what happiness means to us. And as I listened to you, I'm like, oh, I get to define, you know, and create what my morning is about. And maybe I don't want to start at 9 a.m. Maybe I want to start at 10 a.m. And that's okay. Like we get to create that. And so that's really what I'm getting out of, you know, what you're sharing right now is that we get to create what that looks like. And it's not going to look like what anybody else considers self-care or self-love or how they want to live their life you know it's all going to be different and so yeah when you said that it just gave me a lot of permission Mm, yeah it's funny my my girlfriends laugh at me so I have this thing where when I wake up and I you know say thank you I end up closing my eyes for a few more for a few more minutes like when I say a few I mean at least five ten minutes and I visualize I forgot to mention that so I'm a dreamer I'm, I'm a dreamer. I love dreaming. And so I'll always close my eyes and I'll just allow myself to just visualize and let my mind wander where it needs to go. And my friends would always laugh at me. They're like, I can't believe you do that. I'm like, try it. Just, just give it a go. And they're like, you really are what, what you talk about. I'm like, I am like, again, everything I've created has been from my own experiences as well. So absolutely. Yeah. I did your meditation this morning, <laughs> your visualization. Yeah. The the one, which I'll put a link in the show notes, a little offering from Sandeep. And uh, yeah, I really loved the visual. I'm also very visual and I meditate and I also am visualizing the outcome of everything from this podcast interview to like how I want my day to go. So yeah, I, lo- I love that you shared that. And if you have a hard time visualizing, um, use the meditation because it's wonderful and it takes you on this beautiful journey. <laughs> I'm so into it. Yeah. If anyone's listening and there's a message you, you just like, I want this message to land for someone that needs it today. What would you say? I would say your life isn't linear. Your life is not linear. So stop acting like it needs to be. And Life is about every compounding moment. So even if there's just one small, small act of love, you can give yourself. Maybe it's just a deep breath right now. Do that. Life is about our compounding moments, actions, and it doesn't have to be in these big, big gestures. It could literally be just a deep breath right now. That's what I would want to say. I love how you bring it into the simplest, most accessible teachings. And it's true. It's like even before we started this interview, right? We took a breath together and I felt so connected to myself. I felt connected to you. And literally it was maybe 45 seconds of just closing our eyes and breathing. And I think that we want to complicate it. We think, oh, if I can't do the 20-minute meditation and yoga for an hour and, and journal for 15 minutes, that we just throw it all out the window. And it really is the small moments, you know, the hug that I can give someone, the breath that I can give myself. And so, yeah, really, really beautiful and easy. It is. And, you know, I would say my life is very simple. Day to day, I have a very, very simple life. And I love that. And it literally is my morning cup of coffee, 
the friendships that I, I intentionally make sure I, I reach out to a few friends every day and just to check in and have connection. Those are the things that bring me the most joy. And I want you to imagine if you're listening is just opening your heart just a little bit, just opening your heart space, imagining what else you can allow in to your life by just opening it just a little today. And then again, tomorrow and the day after that. Life can be really, really beautiful if we let it. If we allow ourselves, if we give ourselves permission to take that deep breath, to just get out and go for that five minute walk. We have this one life, that's it, this one life. And I have to say this to myself all the time too, when I get caught up in X, Y, and Z, is I just say, slow down, Sandeep, you have one life. This is it. This is the life you're living. And that always brings me back to what really, really matters to me. And it will always come back to connection, 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 connection. Well, I definitely feel more connected to you and I'm sure everyone that's listening does. And so I would love for you to let them know how they can find you. Where do you hang out the most? What do you have coming up? If you have anything coming up. Mm, I do. I do. I have a new group and hybrid. What's a hybrid program? It's called Reclaim. And it is all about the unraveling of our stories. So it is personal development meets storytelling. So by the end of those three months together, you will actually have written part of your memoir. And the intention behind it is that we all have a story to tell every single one of us. Your story is your legacy. And so together we co-create and you write your legacy. So that's Reclaim and that's starting in mid-September. And then of course the Glow Up is my signature program. And you can find me on Instagram. That's usually where I hang out the most. Yeah, go to her Instagram for sure. She's always dropping the bombs, making beautiful reels. If I want inspiration, I just hit up your Instagram page and I'm like, okay, I can go on with my my day. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. This was so fun. Thank you so much for being here today. If you feel like you're looking for extra support, don't hesitate to reach out to me. This is what I do. I help women get unstuck and move into the next chapter of their life with so much courage, so much confidence and clarity. You can head to my website, claudiawhitney.com or jump into my DMs on Instagram at with.claudiawhitney. All right, here's to taking those small steps and making huge shifts happen in your life. Be well and much love. Thank you.